Welcome to ReChurch. I'm Marshall Fant, the Director of Church Consulting and Strategic Planning for Gospel Fellowship Association Missions. My purpose is to encourage pastors and church leaders as you refocus, renew, and revitalize your churches. We've established this podcast to offer practical tips and suggestions as you equip disciples to make disciples. This is Marshall Fant, and this is our podcast, ReChurch. Today we're addressing an issue that affects many pastors' families and pastors' children and pastors' wives, and that is the discussion of when a child decides to leave home, a minor going through difficulties. So now, today, I'm interviewing Hope. So Hope, introduce yourself to our audience. Hi, I'm Hope Valencia, the daughter of Dan Pelletier and his wife, Chris, wife of Huberto Valencia. And now, how old are you now, Hope? Now I'm 21. 21. All right, so first, let's just tell our audience, why are you willing to open yourself up to this? Um, Because I think this is an important issue, probably affecting a lot more, not just necessarily pastors' families only, but a lot of just Christian families, a lot of church families, than people might realize. Maybe if the child hasn't necessarily left home yet, it's probably weighing heavily on their minds. And um, I just think it's important for people to know they're not alone. Kids, in thinking these things, you're not, you're not alone. You're not even a terrible person for, you know, necessarily feeling this way. And parents, um, if your child ever says things like, you know, I want to leave or things like that, you're not, you're not a terrible parent. It just it needs to be a conversation before before things can get out of hand and stuff like that. All right. So I hope that you and I have had a lot of discussion before this. So in all transparency, we've had this discussion, and the questions I'm going to ask you, uh, we've talked through them, and I really found great insight from you on this. So I just want to thank you for doing this. Of course. My pleasure. And so I think the first question I want to ask is this. At what age, what were the situations surrounding your life when your first struggles in this area where you were thinking about leaving home? What, what were some of those struggles and what were the uh, circumstances in your life? I guess really thinking about leaving necessarily. I think, you know, between parent and child, there's always struggle and conflict. And that, I think, just builds to where it's like, you know, um, when you become of a certain age, you realize I don't necessarily have to live here anymore. Mm-hmm. And maybe escape will help dim those struggles. Um, but I think where it really reached a peak was when I was in high school. It's not the same for every family, but at least in my family, I'm adopted. So my birth mother reached out when I was a sophomore, and she just kind of started whispering in my ear and things like that. So that really just Mm -hmm. didn't help our lives. All right, so let's back up just a minute. So a little bit of your background. Your mom and dad were serving in Guam. Is that correct? Yes, yes. So you are a native of Guam. I am. And your family was now living where? They were living in um, New Hampshire. All right, so long, long place away from home, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. So your birth mom reached out. You started talking to her. And so what were some of the other uh, circumstances? So your family has moved from your home to northeast United States. Yes. Uh, you're in high school, so you've changed schools, you've changed churches, you've changed total environments, right? Yes. Well, there was lots of moves in between um, New Hampshire and Guam. Okay. Yes, we've moved around um, every couple of years or so, to be honest. Do you think that added to these pressures? 
Um, I'd never known any other way to live. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I think restarting every couple of years might have kind of helped. But as far as financially, I know that definitely, you know, started crushing our family a little bit. Every, you know, every move obviously takes a toll on the on the bank. Right. So I know that probably put a lot of pressure on my parents that I didn't see. I just enjoyed, you know, getting to move and <laughs> starting over. But Make I know friends, that, yeah. yes, I know that caused a lot of pressure for them as far as the moving was concerned. All right. Now, you gave me this quote, and I want you to run with it and just explain what you mean. So you told me when a child decides to leave home, it's not always to sow wild oats, because that's a phrase so many people use. So, Hope, you gave me a great explanation of that on um, your side maybe not being heard. So just talk to our listeners about that a little bit, if you would. Well, um, when I left, I, I describe it as left. I didn't run away or anything. When I left, I was not a minor anymore. And um, I wasn't expecting my parents to give me money or anything or anyone to help. Um, so I describe it as leaving. And when I left, a lot of people reached out and what they were saying was very hurtful things of, you know, you're damaging your family and you're going to, you know, irreparably cut the relationship with your parents. And do you know what you're doing to them? And, you know, what you're doing is not right. And, you know, you can't just go and live crazy. And everything I realized was they're not asking me actually what's going on and they don't know what's going on, to be honest. And um, a lot of them just assumed I left and I'm going nuts. And um, that's what a lot of people assume teenagers are doing when they just kind of do a lot of things, I feel. Teenagers were told to kind of explore and um, find things out for ourselves. But I think when we do that, it's also called sowing your wild oats or just, you know, getting mm -hmm. things out of your system. It's not exploring in a healthy way or finding things out for yourself or even, you know, discovering God and finding your own faith outside of your parents, even though that's what we are told to do, like make God your own. Well, how do we do that? And when we go to do that, don't criticize if, you know, our relationship with God is not the exact same as our parents because it's not. Right. It's our relationship with God, not, not our parents'. So that's what I did. The first place I did when I left home was I showed up at my old church. Hmm. And All right, I so thought, let's back up just a minute in case I did not make it clear. So your dad's a pastor at this point. Yes. In New England. And before New England, your home was on the West Coast, correct? California? Um, before New England, well, yes, I mean, it was California. Somewhere along California. the way. Yes. Okay. So before we get to where you went when you left, let me ask you a couple of questions. So when you packed up and decided to leave and you left everything behind, uh, you said that you wished you had been asked some things. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what were some of those things maybe before you packed up and left that looking back that maybe some conversations could have taken place? What would some of those questions or conversations be to get your, your input? Because you were how old when you left, 18? I was 18, yes. 18. So what were some of those things you wish you had been asked as an 18-year-old? Questions by my parents or by the community? Anyone. First, I your guess, parents. I guess just, you know, people kind of say things like, oh, I'm going to leave or things. I don't think I had ever really said that verbally, so mm -hmm. I don't think they could know that that's what I was thinking per se. But as far as just the animosity and buildup between all of us, it had been there for a long time. And 
I think just questions of like, why are you so unhappy Hmm. or so angry? And, um, and I, they asked me, but just when I would tell them it wasn't necessarily listening because my answers would be about one of my parents, you know, and I just don't understand these things about them and why they do this and why it's okay. But when I do it as a child, you tell me not to do it mm-hmm. and things like that. That was where a lot of anger came from is what I view as hypocrisy amongst one of my parents. And as a kid, that was kind of shut down and it was just very hard to deal with that. Right, do you think the pressure of the ministry, the pressure of the pastorate added to that? Um, I mean, do you feel like you, you lived in a fishbowl or preachers or pastors, children are treated differently than others or different expectations? Did that enter into it anywhere? They definitely are treated differently. My dad especially has always been a great defender of me because mm-hmm. I know some people would say things to me that they would not say to others. And my dad would always say, oh, I'm sorry, why did you just single my daughter out? Did you, did you talk okay. to the other kids involved? So I know he would always be a defender okay. for me. But definitely the scrutiny was still there, whether or not he was there to rescue me. They would still be saying things to us. And it's, you know, you're just a normal kid and things like that. You need to be able to do normal kid things, but we're held to a different standard. We are on a different level and we need to act and be an example, but so, you're normal. So that's kind of a yeah, it's hard. contradiction. All right. So a couple of the things you said that really meant a lot to me. You mentioned that you're a pastor's child. At 18, you leave home. Uh, your parents were unaware you were going to leave home. Is that correct, or am I mistaken on that? Um, I didn't. I didn't ever verbalize anything like that, okay. so I don't think so. All right. So, what did you wish others would have known of how to reach out to you once you left? I got so many messages on either halves. You know, some would be like, "Oh, you know, way to go and throw Christianity down the drain like it's a terrible mm. religion anyway," which I just kind of laughed at because I stayed off. Instagram and Facebook and all social media platforms. I don't know why anyone would think anything. And some were just, you were just destroying all of your relationships and just kind of horrible things. Um, but I think it's just kind of like, if you knew me, I, I like comfort. I like being comfortable. I think every teenager does. And if someone's willing to throw all of that behind, all of it, like leave all of their clothes and and everything because teenagers are pretty materialistic people mm-hmm. and someone's willing to leave all of that there is something very deep going on it's not just throwing a tantrum or or even sowing wild oats or something because i damaged a relationship with my parents and because i i'm smart i knew i wasn't just gonna be able to pop back into their lives and i just wish someone had recognized that this was something deep teenagers aren't just flying around and making whim decisions all the time. And they do understand the weight of things at times. And that if someone's willing to leave everything, you know, the clothes off their back, everything behind, that's a big thing. Sometimes when teenagers do something or say something, it really means something to them. And as adults, we have to be able to listen and watch and identify the, yes, the tantrums and the whims from, wow, that that was gravity. That meant something to that teenager because it's not all just fluff and they aren't just stupid and they aren't just always tantruming and flying off the handle. Sometimes teenagers, they're very intelligent and they're making a breakthrough and they're making a statement. Yeah, sure. I wish someone had noticed that and 
maybe made an intelligent comment instead of pretty much everyone had picked a side in deciding what they thought I was doing. And no mm -hmm. one, no one asked, what all are right, you doing? So, all right, park right there. Everyone assumed, right? Yes. Was there anyone that really asked? And, and you're on this journey that you're now on. So you're 18, you leave home, you leave New England and go to the West Coast? Yes. All right, so you travel again all the way across country. Did anyone, a mother of a friend, a father of a friend, another pastor, did anyone ask you what was going on or did everyone just assume? Um, the people who asked were actually peers. Okay. They asked what I was doing. And then the people who didn't choose any aside, it was just, I will pray for you. It wasn't asking. But to me, that was just kind of a neutral comment of like, I hope you're okay. You know, I'll pray for you. Was that so helpful those, or not helpful? That, that was helpful, you know, just mm -hmm. letting me know they were there. It still would have been nice to ask, like, what happened, you know, because that's asking me. Because I feel out of all the people who are just kind of picking aside, as I put it, um, it would have been nice to be asked, you know, what are you doing? Because only my peers asked. But I got hundreds of messages. So, but yeah, my peers asked what I was doing. And I got a lot of prayer messages. And those, those are very sweet. And I know people mm -hmm. meant well. And those people I did not delete. But the hateful ones I just yeah. deleted immediately and didn't look right. at. And All right. So let's say I'm a friend of your mom and dad. Okay. And I would have known you. Okay. This is hypothetical, but I'm using mm -hmm. this for future advice. Mm -hmm. And you left. So how could I, as a contemporary of your mom and dad, what is your advice to me right now if I have a friend whose daughter is 18 and leaves home and goes away? How would you recommend me as, a, as an adult? Would it be better for a lady to contact you, a pastor to contact you, anybody to contact you? And obviously you want us to ask questions, right? Mm -hmm. How would you phrase those questions? I mean, looking back, if I want to sincerely, I'm not talking about hypocritically, I'm not talking about judgmentally, I want to sincerely reach out to Hope, what would some questions be that I could ask? I guess I would just say to myself or any kid, hey, I don't, I don't know what's going on. I don't necessarily need to know if you don't want to tell me. And I'm unbiased, but I'll be there for you. And if you're a friend, then I love you. And if you need a place or you need something, let me know. And it's just kind of leaving the ball in their court, letting them know that you're there and you love them. Okay. Wouldn't it be kind to say, hey, if you need a place to stay, you can come here and we can talk? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'd probably put that in there. All right. So I think a lot of us shy away from reaching out because we don't know what to do. We know what we Probably. should do. Okay. Was that a fair statement? Yes. All right. So part of the goal here of what I'm trying to do is to equip people to reach out to those that are where Hope Pelletier was at that point in life. This is a decision she made. Uh, she was not a minor. She left everything behind. This is what you felt like you had to do. Mm -hmm. Is that fair? Yes. All right. So even though you left a situation with your mom and dad unreconciled, at this point, there's still a way to reach you, right? There's still a way to support you and love you as a believer in Christ, as a yes. fellow believer in Christ. All right, you want to expand anything else on that? Um, I don't think so. All right, so if I'm trying to reach out to you, 
and I know you get my message. Should I just leave you alone or should I try back later or is that dependent on the situation? What would you advise there? If you're a friend, I would just, depending on the person, mm -hmm. well, I guess I'm a more private person now than I was back then. But um, I definitely, because I got so many messages, didn't want to be bothered, right. even by necessarily positive ones, if they were recurring. You know, one positive one, that's, I know you're there. Thank you. But people don't know I got hundreds. So I think it just depends on the situation. And maybe a couple of weeks, month, you know, a month later, just, hey, you know, how are you doing? Maybe a follow-up, like, you you know, you okay or something like that. Not necessarily reiterating because mm -hmm. teenagers, like, we have our phone. We have that message. It's If it's positive especially, we might not delete it. That, that depends on the person. But um, maybe just following up on how are you, you know, you, do you need anything now, something like that if you've given enough time. But time would especially be, like, at least a couple of weeks, if not a month. All right, looking back, what was the most encouraging message or act that you received that made you aware that people loved you, either by a peer or someone else? What was the most encouraging thing? Um, over messaging or someone in person? Either way. When I went to my old church, it was my parents' old friends, who they're still very close with, that... I think because they just knew us, they didn't need to ask or say anything. And they recognized I showed up in church and just, they just hugged on me. They just loved on me. And they almost, almost treated as if I was normal. They were, oh, how are you? You know, where are you going to go to school? And, oh, this is your boyfriend. And they just kind of just carried on with life. They didn't linger on it. They kind of asked, you know, did you talk to your mom? But it was in conversation that would have been normal if I came for a visit by myself. You know, that would have been a normal question following, oh, hi, how are you? And if I was alone, just have you talked to your mom? It wasn't singled out and have you talked to your parents, but they just smashed it all up in one ball of normalism. They just normalized everything and went right along with everything. And I don't remember them um, being weird or treating me different or singling me out or pulling me aside and trying to get the lowdown on everything, you know, like some people would, oh, you know, are you, you know, like what's going on? And then yeah. it was, it was just kind of a nosy way. You can tell when people genuinely, are you okay? Is there anything? But they were just, I don't need to know. It's fine. I love you. And they were the closest friends of the family. So I know they knew how to deal with me and my parents and family. But that's what they did. They just went right along with it. They were happy I was in church, and they kind of encouraged the behavior they wanted out of me instead of digging at the behavior they thought I did or whatever. It was just, I'm so glad you're in church, and they just, I love seeing you here, and oh, you brought your boyfriend. That's so good. Instead of, you know, some of the dirty looks I got, like, oh, your boyfriend, you know, <laughs> regardless of whatever, it's, yeah. he's, he I, might be an unbeliever, and he's in church. All right, let me ask you this question. I think this is huge. So, what was it about your home church? in California that would even make you want to go back? I'm thinking a lot of teens, that's the last place they would go. So what was it about the people in that church that that's where you wanted to go back? Um, it wasn't necessarily, well, it was the people, but it was, I left home to do the God journey on my own. I felt I saw a lot of hypocrisy and a lot of things like that in my life and my family. And I was like, I want to find God for myself. Yeah, I but you went back own. to your home church versus because another I, church. Right, because I already, I, I love Pastor Ennis' preaching. Okay, all right, stay right I, there. All right, so it was a relationship you had, right? Mm -hmm. 
with a pastor that you knew loved God and loved others. Is yes. that fair? Yes. All right. So as you're now talking to pastors, is it fair to say you went back to your home church after you were, had moved all the way across the country with your boyfriend because you knew your pastor loved you? My pastor and his people, yes. And the people. Okay. I just want to say that to encourage churches that what we think we might know isn't what we really know. That we think people might not come back to us, but if they know that they're loved, mm-hmm. it will maintain and, and create relationships where you can come back. Is that fair to say? Yes. All right. So anything else you want to say to pastors and churches that are listening to this on how to maintain a spirit of love in a church at all times when someone needs the church, they know they're welcome back in the church. Anything else you want to say with that? Just that love, you know, cheesy, but love, love conquers all because that's uh, teenagers are already skittish and scared and nervous. But I knew there would be choice people who would just do what they did. They just love me. And I, I have pictures from that Sunday, hmm. that exact Sunday. They were, oh, she's back. And they just hugged me and kissed me. You still on have pictures today from that Sunday? I do. It'll wow. pop up every once in a while. And there's this, this one lady who just, she always wants pictures. And, you know, they gather the kids around. You know, they didn't hold their youngins away from me like I was a social pariah. And they, uh, they gathered us all around and we took photos. Wow. That's, and, that's um, a precious that's, fellowship. That's huge. That's, that, it, is. it is. So if anyone in that church is listening to this podcast, I want to publicly thank you for that. In all other churches, we need to emulate what Hope just described by her home church. And I think that's uh, Pastor David Dennis at Hamilton Square in San Francisco. Is that correct? Yes. So I just want to thank that church for showing you that love. Now, let's switch gears just a little bit. If we can fast forward and talk about when you were reconciled to your parents. Mm-hmm. What was it that God used in your life to start the process of reconciliation? Um, I think they just reached out enough times and were... I reached out enough times ready. they reached out more than once? Oh, yes, definitely. Okay. All right, I, I didn't Every know. Day. Okay, I'm, I won't, I'll, Yes. Okay. So as they continued to reach out, was there any specific thing they did that that moved in your heart more than others? Um, when they were reaching out, my dad was on Facebook a lot, posting things I didn't think needed to be shared. I felt very put out there. I think things need to be handled more privately. Okay. I think I had kind of talked to my mom enough and told him to kind of stop a little bit. This is a family matter. It doesn't need to go to 5,000 Facebook friends. And I think around that time where I was finally willing to talk, he had kind of, I think enough time had passed, he had stopped doing that so much. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think that's around when I was finally like, okay, it's it's private. And if we do talk, it won't end up on Facebook or somewhere. So, um, so the lesson for parents in that is not to share this publicly. Oh, definitely. Okay. Well, I just want to emphasize that. You're taking it for granted, but I want to, I want to put that out there because the parents are hurting, you're hurting, you're unreconciled. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're 18 or maybe 19 by this time. Obviously, they love you, and, and this is hard. I mean, most parents never go through this before. 
and most teens don't go through it before. And that's the reason I'm so thankful you're willing to talk about this. Mm-hmm. Now, what advice would you give to a teen that is ready right now to walk out? I mean, I'm not talking about sexual abuse or there's not abuse in the home, okay? But they're frustrated. They're not being heard. So they're ready to walk out. But before they walk out, what would you advise them to do? I would advise them to, if it's if it's not them in the wrong necessarily and they just want to talk to their parents, if it's not them being heard about like a move or school or whatever it is, they just want to talk to their parents and they just think their parents aren't listening, then I would just, just one last time, try to have them sit down with their parents. Because I think communication isn't there a lot. I'm a very communicative person Mm -hmm. because whenever something happens, I'm like, it's not like I didn't tell you. So I'm very big on you have to communicate because when things happen, you know, you told the person. So I would just advise them to one, you know, one more time, sit down and be like, I need to talk right now. And in the most respectful way, I don't want you to interrupt me. And because teenagers are very, a lot of times very private and they talk to their friends, but not their parents. And a lot of things are in their own head. I would just let your parents know because what's the worst that's going to happen? You're probably already fighting. Things are probably already pretty bad if you're going to walk out. So you're probably not going to make it any worse. And so sit down and talk to them and say, this is what I'm feeling and this is why and this is what I'm thinking about doing or if I, I don't know what to do if this doesn't stop or if, if I can't get would, some relief from this would, feeling. Would it help at any time to bring in a mediator, somebody who you trust and you know your parents trust to sit down and try to hear both sides? Was there anyone like that or if there is someone like that, would you recommend that? There was never anyone like that for me. I never okay. thought about that at being an adolescent. You know, mm-hmm. now when you go through marriage counseling before you get married or stuff like that, you know about those kinds of people. But that would definitely be teen by teen. If they are extremely private, that that would just put them at ridiculous unease. But if they just they just can't get over it and through it with their parents, then if that would be something they're interested in, bringing in a third party, then you know, that might be beneficial to them. I personally probably wouldn't do that because of the sake of the things I needed to say to my dad. I wouldn't want him being embarrassed, but for sure, that's that's to each family their own, each teenager. But it's just before you're going to leave, I definitely would just, everything you need to say, say it because that's your chance right then. And that's the chance for your parents because when you're about to leave, you know, I realize this later on, it's also not really giving your parents a chance to help and to, change whatever it is you think they need to change and to work through it as a family. That's also just kind of you leaving and getting immediate escape, which beneficial to you. And maybe a break is beneficial for the family, but it's heartbreaking to them. What do you mean a break? A break of, of being separated and not being in the same house. Okay. For, for a season, I mean a week or two or just for a season. Yeah. Maybe. Yes. Okay. Two more questions. Now, what advice would you give to someone who's trying to persuade another to leave their home. So, you know, another teenager who thinks the only way out is to leave and they're trying to persuade someone to leave their parents. If you sit down and talk to both of those, what would you tell them? I would tell one of them that it's not your family, you know, not necessarily your business. You should be helping your friend do what's best for the friend and their family if they love their family. There you go. 
if they want a future with their family. Because sometimes I think people just quit. They don't think about the future or anything. Mm -hmm. But as a friend, that's your job is like, well, today you're feeling this way, but do you really hate them so much that tomorrow, next month, next year? Because sometimes the way you leave matters also. And if you leave angry and with a friend kind of pumping you from the side, you could really just just shoot that relationship really far out into oblivion that would be pretty hard to reel back yeah so um i would tell a friend to just maybe just listen more to to the friend thinking about leaving than to give your input if they're asking for your input i'd give mild input of well you know and give them options you know this this could work or or maybe this you know not just necessarily one advice and i'd the friend that's running away or or thinking about it to maybe seek more than one friend's counsel because you know, one person will have one opinion and one outlook, but definitely others will have different. So maybe get a couple people's opinion if that's what you're doing is looking at, looking at friends' views. All right. So my last question is this, as a pastor, let's say Hope's in my church and Dan and Chris are in my church and I love all three. I'm trying to help all three. So what would you recommend for me to ask someone in your situation? In other words, this is maybe either before they leave or after they leave, just what would you want a pastor? I mean, I know you said, ask, what are you thinking? Why are you leaving? But what would you want your pastor? Obviously, you went back to Pastor Ennis. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's something about Pastor Ennis that was very special to you. I think you said because you knew he loved, he preached the Bible, he loved you, and his people loved you. But if I'm a pastor and let's say your mom and dad were in, and y- y'all were in my church and you leave home and I'm trying to locate you, what would you want me to say to you? And you've already, you've already gone. I mean, I guess just the same lines of everyone else, the same thing, but also just if you've grown up in that church, it could be helpful that I've seen you grow up and things like that. Um, reiterating that I love you. All right, say that again. I love you and... That I love you and that I've seen you. If you've watched them grow up, that helps. Um, And really, if I ever can do anything for you, is that fair? Right, right. Always that. If I could, you know, it's hard for teenagers to reach out for help. They're stubborn, but I'm always here because I think teenagers forget the pastor's constant. Mm. I think a lot of times pastors even sometimes... um, forget to talk to teenagers like you know they, they talk to them oh, no, we do we do sure right yeah. but yeah. they forget to really talk to them um like hey if i can ever do anything for you, i don't i don't think pastors say that a lot to teens hmm. so in that situation it would be kind of in that situation right then it might feel like too little too late for the teenager but still then you could start that relationship with them just reminding them that they have a whole church who loves them and always remind them that you're not judging, that that's not your job. And hopefully up till then you haven't been preaching messages of judgment and that we're supposed to be walking around judging each other as Christians because that's that's not our job. We're supposed to just love each other and point each other back to the Bible. And um, I've often heard it said um, that teenagers will walk away from rules, but they won't walk away from relationships. So mm -hmm. if a pastor has a relationship with his teens, even when one leaves, he still should reach out, right? Right. Hope, I want to thank you so much. As a friends of you and, your, you and your mom and your dad, just your willingness to do this, because I truly believe there'll be hundreds, if not thousands, of people that are going to listen to your testimony. 
And I think they will get tremendous insight of how to help so many. So, Hope, thank you so much. Oh, of course. Holding yourself up. And, again, we will we'll do this in several podcasts. So this has um, been Hope Pelletier. Again, I thank her for her time. And today has been dealing with a very uh, sensitive issue, but it's not unique. This situation has played out in ministry families over and over and over again. What's different about this is we have three people willing to share their journey in order to help others. So Hope, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. You're listening to ReChurch, a podcast of Gospel Fellowship Association Missions. If you would like more information about our ministry or how we may assist you and your church, visit us at gfamissions.org slash consulting.